Hey there, this is AJ. I'm so glad you've joined us today on Faith for My Generation podcast. I want to remind you that our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word, and our mission is to create a resource of teachings that build strong faith in God. You know, that really is my prayer, that as you hear this message today, that the power of God's Word, anointed by the Holy Spirit, will stir up your most holy faith in Him so that you can be a light and a witness and a testimony of the living God in this earth. I pray that this message will richly bless you and increase you in spirit, soul, and in body. Now, let's get to the message. To our study tonight. Heavenly Father, we come before you, God, and we bless your name, Lord. There truly is none like you, Lord God. You are mighty and you are holy, you are just, you're righteous, and we thank you, Lord God, that as we study your word, Lord, as we seek your face in your word, and that the Holy Spirit, Lord, will anoint us to understand, Lord, we thank you that he is the master teacher and that he draws us close unto you and makes us alive unto you, and your word is revealed unto us, and we have a deeper understanding. That's our desire, Lord. We're not studying just to know more of the Bible. We're studying to see and know you and become more personal in our relationship with you, and we thank you that you will empower us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. I got another sheet for you. Mr. John, if you want one as well. There you go. Uh-huh. All right. We're going to be in John chapter 10. We'll go ahead and turn to John chapter 10. We're going to work our way through a good part of this chapter, John chapter 10. Of course, Sunday I ministered on Psalms 23, The Lord is My Shepherd, and that is uh, written by, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but was written by David, who was a shepherd, of course, among many things, um, but that was, Psalms 23 is from the perspective of a sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, and I'm the sheep of his pasture. He leads me, right, in the still waters and green pastures. And even though I may go through the valley, it's from the perspective of a sheep. John chapter 10, which could really be called the New Testament counterpart to Psalms 23, is written from the shepherd speaking to the sheep. So one is the sheep talking about the shepherd, Tonight, we're going to look at the shepherd talking to the sheep. In John chapter 10, the first 21 verses that we'll go through, uh, we'll see a lot of the characteristics and traits of Jesus. We'll, we'll see his nature. And that's so important when you're studying the Bible. It's so important. It's much more important than knowing, you know, it's good to know commands, instructions, and laws. It's good to know dates and times and places. That's all good. There's nothing wrong with that. But what our main purpose in studying the Bible is, is to know the author of it, to know the Lord. And he reveals to us, we can see that so many different ways, but he reveals to us himself in his word by what he says, by how he treats people, because we know this, if God's done something for one person, he's not a respecter of persons. In other words, he doesn't pick and choose favorites. If he's done something for one person, he'll do it for you. And God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in doing this, I want us to really get down to what is the nature of a shepherd? In other words, what is the nature of God? So let's start at Genesis, or excuse me, Genesis. John chapter 10, verse 1. Verse 1. We're just going to go through these verses. And of course, as usual, fill in these blanks here. John chapter 10, verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Now notice the first portion, or not really a question, but the first uh, fill in the blanks we have. Thieves and robbers enter in the sheepfold in ways other than the door of the sheepfold. Sheepfold is just another word for what we might call a pasture or a pen, fence with a gate. A sheepfold, especially in the Middle East, uh, and of this time, of ancient times, a sheepfold would have been a square or a rectangle of stacked stones. 
and they would stack these stones up that they probably found out plowing fields and hit a stone and toss them over and pile and use these piles of stones and they would stack them up into walls like a big rectangle. Tall walls, 8, 10, 12 foot tall. And they would have a very, very small opening, just large enough for sheep to go through, probably even single file really. Real small door and that was called the sheep fold. It was the place, it was the pen where they kept the sheep. Now notice this. The first point, this is the very first thing that Jesus teaches us in John chapter 10. Now, of course, the Bible uh, later, chapters and verses were put in the Bible later, right? When the Holy Spirit moves on John to write out the gospel according to John, he writes a book. There are no chapter and verses. There's natural stops and starts. There's natural breaks and paragraphs. Later on, 4th, 5th century, they put in chapters and verses so we can do what we're doing right now, which is all turn to the same spot and study. It makes it a lot easier if we all have the same reference point. So I make that point because right before it in John chapter 9, Jesus is casting out a devil, and he's healing this blind person, and he's casting out devils, and the Pharisees are upset with him among many reasons. One, he says he's the son of God, which he is, but they didn't like that. Two, th he could do something they couldn't do, and they really, that really hurt their image as being these wonderful religious leaders, but they had no authority or power. Uh, Luke makes that point, that w people saw Jesus and they said he teaches with authority. In other words, he can back up what he says, and that's what was taking place here. Blind men healed, devils cast out, and immediately after this, this causes some stirring up and some turmoil among the Pharisees and Sadducees and they're kind of bickering right there and Jesus just immediately does what he always does. He starts teaching. And he says, look here, here's the thing. Thieves and robbers, they enter into the sheepfold, but they don't come through the door. Now again, if you think about that ancient pen of stacked stones, why is it eight or ten foot high? Sheep can't jump more than probably four or five feet. Why twice as high? It's so a man can't go over the wall, pick up a sheep, and then <laughs> toss them over the wall. I mean, you imagine, uh, they're probably not real heavy animals, but 70, 80 pounds, you've got to chunk that thing six foot up and over. And it's not if, if you could or couldn't, you probably can't. But even if you could, the shepherd that is in the doorway of the sheepfold, the several shepherds would use one pen. They would make use of it. Because you imagine how much work there would be to build something like that, stacking on those stones. So several ranchers, several shepherds would use the same place. And one shepherd would take watch at night and he would sleep. They literally would just sleep in the doorway. That way nothing got in unless it went through them. And also if someone did try to come over the wall and try to throw a sheep up over a 10-foot wall, they would hear it, of course. And the point he's making here is thieves and robbers. Now what's the difference? Why thieves and robbers? You might think, well, that's the same thing. A thief as someone who obviously steals something. But in this context of Scripture and these words, of course, this is English, but New Testament written in Greek, thieves is someone that simply steal. Robbers are someone who violently steal. So it's like one person just snatches a person, runs. Another person beats the person down, takes their stuff. Thief and a robber. So it's not just stealing, but if you imagine like Satan's mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. So thieves and robbers, it's, it's bad people and real bad people. They come in, but they don't come in the appropriate way. They come in other ways than the, than the door of the sheepfold. Now, why is that important? Verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The true shepherd you have written there enters in the sheepfold through the door. Through the door. Now, you don't have to turn there, but just to give you an understanding of why Jesus is making this point, basically what Jesus is saying is, he is the shepherd. Now, we know this because we're on the back side of this, but imagine this, he's speaking to the Jewish people who have been taught from childhood to look for the Messiah, look for the one the prophets have prophesied of. And John the Baptist, who was anointed from his mother's womb, in his mother's womb, anointed by the Holy Spirit, he had one mission, to be the voice crying in the wilderness, make way for the one that's coming. Now, even him, anointed before he was born, filled with the Holy Ghost in his mama's womb, 
Even he had a question about Jesus in Luke 7, 19. John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And when the men had come to him, this is verse 20 of Luke 7, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour, Jesus cured many of the infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Verse 22, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. When you're around the anointing and the presence of the Holy Spirit, whoever that's moving through, maybe it's, you know, anybody, any Christian is a candidate for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, we, you know, there, there's ministry offices, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we see in the Bible are not for a select few. It's not for a select church. The gifts and the working of the Holy Ghost is for anyone who will yield. Any Christian. Any Christian. And Jesus makes this point. Go and tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. That the blind seen, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Even John the Baptist had this same question. Are you the one who comes through the door of the sheepfold? And Jesus says, anyone who enters the door or comes through the right way is the shepherd of the sheep. Imagine that. You've got all these sheep that are in this pen. Next morning, after everyone's slept and rested, the shepherd comes out. He comes through the door, and he calls his sheep out to take them out to pasture. A shepherd doesn't have to climb over the wall. He goes the appropriate way, which is the door. Now, why does that matter? Verse 3, John 10, 3. So we just keep moving along in this chapter. To him, the doorkeeper opens. Notice that. The doorkeeper opens. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, right there on your paper, you have the doorkeeper knows the good shepherd. The doorkeeper knows the good shepherd. His sheep know his voice and he leads them out to pasture. Now, in this teaching, who is the doorkeeper? Because we know Jesus is the good shepherd. He's going to tell us this in just a moment. Who is the doorkeeper? The doorkeeper is the prophets. The doorkeeper is the Old Testament. The doorkeeper is the law. This is why Jesus makes this point. He said, when he was talking to different people, he said, I didn't come to do away with the Old Testament law. I came to fulfill it. On the Mount of Transfiguration, I believe it's Matthew 17, Jesus is standing there before Elijah and Moses. It's a representation of the law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah. Christ came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And in him we fulfill the law and the prophets. What could not be measured up to in the Old Testament by human strength or ability, is measured up to. We do fulfill the law and the prophets in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So these doorkeepers are the prophets of the Old Testament who prophesied and said, there will be one who will be born in Bethlehem. There will be one who will minister in Nazareth. There will be one who will come from Galilee. All, I mean, you can look. There was a, a, a scientist, a mathematician, not a scientist, but a mathematician who did, he just picked seven Old Testament prophecies and worked out, you, you may remember this in, back in school when you were taking math class, but like probability, what would be the probability of not all the Old Testament prophecies, just seven, <laughs> just seven of the Old Testament uh, prophets, if those particular prophecies came true, it would be like one out of 179 billion or whatever, which of course it did. It came absolutely to pass. And these doorkeepers, the prophets, they were the ones that allowed the good shepherd to come in. Because God makes that point in the Old Testament. I believe it's the book of Amos. He says he does no thing in the earth unless he first tells his prophets. God always sends a message. God always sends his word before he does something. Because it's, on the, it's the vehicle of his word that his power moves. Now, notice this, verse 4. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The good shepherd goes before his sheep, and his sheep follow him. 
To me, I love that. Because it's not, it's not Jesus standing from the back pointing out, yeah, go that way. Go do my work here. Go live for me out there. Go there, go there. I'll, I'll, I'll be back here if you need me. The shepherd goes first. And you see that. Christ came. One of the reasons that Christ came to live on the earth, among others, was to prove that a man sold out to God could be victorious. And we could say, well, we, well it's Jesus. Of course he was. But remember, Jesus is playing by our rules. He didn't come and live on this earth as God. Though he was fully God, because he was God, he limited or emptied himself out, Philippians 2 tells us, to be as a man, anointed of the Holy Spirit. He played by our rules. And so Jesus went before us, and we follow him. Now, this is what we're looking at is kind of broken up into three parts. And you can see it. Well, I've got four parts here. But the first one is the illustration, verses 1 through 6. So let's look at verse 5. <clears throat> Jesus makes this point about the sheep. Yet they, the sheep, will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Notice this, that last part of this first section. The nature of sheep is to flee from strangers. In this case, the strangers are, here we go, false Christs. Lowercase c, plural. False Christs, C-H-R-I-S-T-S. And then after that, thieves and robbers. The thieves and robbers are false Christs. Not all the time, but most of the time, the, you know, these false Christs. Even today, y'all, even today there's people who claim to be Jesus. The most recent one I saw, I saw by way of Instagram. He has sponsored ads, advertising on Instagram. It just popped up in my feed that he's, he's Jesus. And I, you know, all this time I've just been trying to figure out who he was. And how does he prove he's Jesus? He paints these paintings that supposedly tell the future. If you looked at the paintings, it would look like something Naomi would do if you gave her three or four bottles of paint and a canvas. But apparently, him and some people that follow him can see, oh, wow, yeah, I can see that. That was this, uh, this is a, you know, one of them is a hurricane. Oh, well, there was a, hur a hurricane that happened in the Philippines that destroyed the house. And to me, it just looks like a, someone just threw paint there. But he's deceived in thinking he's Jesus, and he has deceived some people who think he's Jesus. And if you want to support him, you can go to his website and he has a way you can donate to him to support his ministry. <laughs> but to this day, there, are, there have been, they are now, and there will continue to be people who are thieves, robbers, and false Christs. They're strangers. And when they call the sheep, the sheep don't follow them because they don't know their voice. Now, Jesus makes this or John writes this point down, we all heard everything Jesus said, but we didn't understand it because he's using an illustration or what the Bible calls a parable. So Jesus being an excellent teacher, he simplifies it. So the second part here in John 10, the door of salvation, verse 7, John 10, 7. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus is the door of the sheepfold. Jesus is the door of the sheepfold. Well, that's pretty simple, right? Jesus, he says it this way in John 14, I am the way. If you want to go to the Father, you have to come by me. If you want to get in the sheepfold, if you want to be protected, if you want to be safe from the thieves and robbers, Satan and his work on the earth, you've got to enter in through the door. And how do you do that? You do it through Christ. Now, it doesn't stop there. Many people will get to that point. Yes, amen, hallelujah, Jesus is the door, hallelujah. But it doesn't stop there because salvation, as we know, is not a one-time experience. Salvation is a life flow. It is Christ living, breathing, moving, having our being in Him, Acts 17, 28. Salvation is an experience. It is a lifestyle. It is us being connected to God. And we're going to see why that's important. John 10, 8. 
All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Now notice this. There have been and will be, this term I'm using again, false Christs. And you're going to see why I'm using that, that term. There have been and will be false Christs. We, the sheep of God's pasture, must never follow them. Jesus, he makes this point, and, I, and I'll read it to you. Matthew 24, verse 23 and 24. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is teaching on the second coming, which is a different event from the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church takes place before the second coming. You might think, well, why isn't the second coming called the third coming if there's a rapture before it? Obviously, the first coming is when Christ was born a babe in a manger lives life as a man, fulfills his ministry, dies on the cross, is resurrected, and then ascends to heaven. That's first coming. So why is there something in between the first and the second? Really, the rapture and the second coming are one event separated by seven years of tribulation. The difference is the rapture, Jesus comes to the heavens, the clouds. He doesn't touch down. He doesn't make contact. He just comes from heaven to the clouds around the earth and snatches up, perusia, the, ra the word rapture isn't actually in the Bible, but the word parousia, which is where we get the Latin word rapture from, means to snatch away, to reach down and grab up. And that's what Jesus will do. He'll not come to the earth in the rapture. He will come to the heavens around the earth and snatch up spiritually, pull everyone out. That's where the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those that are living in the church, us, if it were to happen now, we would just be gone. We would be gone. That's, you know, like if you've seen the Left Behind series or read those movies, and you know, that's when cars just start driving off and clothes drop off. Hopefully we'll have spiritual clothes. If not, we'll off, <laughs> we may be a little embarrassed on the ride up. I don't know. We'll have spiritual clothes, I'm sure. But you'll see that, you know, the clothes drop on the floor or whatever. You know, different people are just gone. And Jesus makes this point. From now all the way up to the second coming when Jesus comes back, touches down on the earth, Battle of Armageddon destroys, not destroys, but defeats the Antichrist and puts them in the, uh, a holding place for a time and place. He makes this point, Matthew 24, 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here it is, the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Satan, that's, that's his name, the name of his game, right, is deception. Any way he can deceive, he's going to. Any level of deception he can obtain, he will try his absolute best. With some people, it may be a little bit of deception. Well, I know the Bible says it, but that's not for today. I was talking about the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, I know in the book of Acts that happened, but now 2,000 years later, I don't know if the Holy Spirit does all that stuff. It's not, not, I've heard some people say, you know, the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit aren't necessary today. We've got the Bible. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Have people changed since the book of Acts? I see people sinning just like they did in the book of Acts. Uh, you know, well, we've got love. I don't, you look out in the world, I, I don't see a whole lot of love going around. I see love in some places, mainly the church, but I don't see a whole lot of love going around. There will be a time where the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit will not be needed in the new heavens and new earth. But until then, everything the Bible has for us is needed now. So think about that. There's levels of deception that Satan has. And what's the highest form? To get you to believe in someone else than Jesus. And, he say, and Jesus made this point. From the time I've come, 2,000 years ago, until I come back, there will continually be people who will say they're me or try to lie to you and say what I've said is not true. And Satan will use any way he can do that. But the key is, thieves and robbers, we don't listen to their voice. That's why it's so important to know your Bible. That's why it's so important to read your Bible. Best way to know your Bible is read it. Best way to read through your Bible is take a little bit of time every day. Just like you sit down two, three, four, five times to eat something and feed your physical body, feed your spirit. Same way. Keep opening it. Keep reading it. Keep studying it. Because the more you hear God's voice, the more it's a you're 
able to separate between his voice and all these other deceiving voices. Because Jesus said they're here. They're not going to stop. In fact, in the last days, they'll increase. Because Satan realizes he's got a short time. And so he's working overtime, as much deception as he can. Next verse, John 10, 9. I am the door. He says that again. I am the door. If it's not clear, I'm the way. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus, on your page you have there, Jesus is the open door to the blessings and benefits of salvation. In him we have complete provision. In him we have complete provision. Jesus is the door. And notice that last part. He goes in and out and finds pasture. You know, younger, when I would read that, it's so confused because I thought, wait a minute, you mean in and out of you, Christ Jesus? But that's not the illustration Jesus is giving. Remember what he's saying. There's a sheepfold. There's a place where I keep my sheep. They hear my voice. And so they hear me, and I go before them, and they follow me. And so we go out, we go to pasture, we get what we have need of, and we come back. In other words, you're living life in Christ. And wherever you go, it's like the song we sing, right? Where you go, I'll go. Who you'll love, I'll love. Who you serve, I'll serve. It's living life in Christ Jesus. It's being in Christ is what verse 9 is saying here. You go in and out. Wherever the Lord leads me, he's going before me, and I'm following him, and I find pasture. I have complete provision, spirit, soul, body. Nothing lacking. Romans 8, 32 makes this point. Plainly says, 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? And he having not spared his own son, if he didn't withhold his son, if Father God did not withhold his son from us, but freely gave his own son, what good thing would he withhold from us now? In other words, he gave the absolute best he has, himself, his son. There's nothing else that he's going to withhold now. He's not going to withhold peace in your mind. He's not going to withhold fullness in your marriage, your relationships. He's not going to withhold financial provision. He's not going to withhold health and healing in your body. He's not going to withhold joy and love. He's not going to withhold anything because he's given you the absolute best he has. And in Christ, the door, we go in and out and find pasture. When he gave us Christ, he gave us everything he had, which is the fullness of salvation. And that's what it brings us to. It brings us to this hinge point right here, John 10, 10. This is probably the verse we know from this chapter more well, more well than any other verse. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that you may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The thief has one mission with three objectives to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give you life abundant. I was laughing reading that because I think about Jason Coral, who's a, a martial arts instructor of a school. I'll go to martial arts in Greenville Academy. And uh, Matt, actually, y'all did a bunch of building right behind the, their school. But he always makes this point. He in self-defense, he said, if someone's coming up, you know, someone that looks like you don't, know, you don't know them, right? But they're coming in, and they're coming in that personal space, and they look aggressive, or they're, they look really peculiar, or they just look shady, like eh, something, and you feel weird, you get that gut feeling like, this is not right. He says, <clears throat> he said, bad guys are never coming up to give you cupcakes and cash. They're coming to hurt you. <laughs> so that moment that, that moment that that person's gotten at this point where they can reach out and do something, you don't know them, they shouldn't be here, you automatically make the assumption, okay, they're not coming to do nice things. So at this point, I need to flip over into defense mode, do whatever I need to do. Run, stop them, whatever's necessary to protect yourself. Same way with Satan. That's what Jesus is saying here. Satan's not coming to bring you cash and cupcakes. He is coming to steal and to kill and destroy. Plain and simple. 
If Satan shows up, it's not to help you out. It's not to make things happier. Oh, well, we're going to have a good time. No, 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 no. It may start off in what might physically or mentally be, you think is a good time, but it ends in destructions. Proverbs chapter 14. There is a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in destruction. Satan comes for one reason, and it manifests itself in three ways. Steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give you life abundant. <clears throat> so now we get to this at verse 11, where Jesus tells us about who he is, the shepherd. John 10, 11. He tells us about himself. And at this point, we discover who this shepherd is. He's already told us he's the door, but he makes it plain and simple. Remember, because when he gives this illustration, the disciples, they hear it, but they don't quite understand it. So Jesus is making it plain. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Notice this in that part, right after the third portion, third bullet point you have there. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. A good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Christ paid the highest price for his sheep. He gave his life. And by the way, this is what, this is the requirement of all Christians concerning what God's called them to do. Give your life to it. Give your life to it. It may look like different ways. So I, I, I'll make this point. Sometimes when, maybe when people hear that, they think, well, you, you must be talking about I've got to go be a pastor or a missionary or go you know, to China and start an orphanage. If the Lord tells you to, yes. But whatever it is that God has gifted you and given you talents and abilities and a skill set to do, do it completely. Do it wholly. Do it W-H-O-L-L-Y. Well, you should do it H-O-L-Y. You shouldn't be a lying cheat when, in whatever you do. It should be righteous. But do it completely. Commit your life to it. You know, uh, Pastor Chris Vaughn out of Georgia, which he's come here plenty of times. We, we, a lot of y'all know him. I was listening to a, a series he's teaching right now, and he made this point. The dreams that you have will be accessed by the gifts God's given you. But if you don't work the gifts, you won't obtain the dreams. And that's what God, Jesus is saying here. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But as, as we, Christians, who imitate Christ, we give our life to what God's given us. And when you fully, if you're a husband, you give your life completely. Whole, I'm 100% husband. I'm going to be a good husband. Lord, help me to be a better husband each day. 100%. I'm a father. Same way, father. I'm serving the church in this way. You know, praise team for me specifically, whatever it is. I'm serving the church. If I'm at work, I'm there 100%. It's what Colossians says in the book of Colossians. Do everything unto the glory of God. Because that's what Christ did. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. A good husband gives his life for his wife. A good father gives his life for the ch his children. A good employee gives his all when he's there at work. Or a good employer gives his all for his employees. It's being there 100% fully in, honoring whatever God set before you. Next verse, John 10, 12. But a hireling, or in other words, uh, Hireling means hired man, but the word right here in the New King James is hireling. I believe this in the KJV as well. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep. How many knows it makes a difference when you had to pay the price for something, right? You know, maybe you give something to your child or to a grandchild or something, and they think, well, they didn't really treat that as well as they should have. And next time, they're going to have to have a little skin in the game. They're going to have to earn this a little bit. Because when you have to earn it yourself, you think, wait a minute. I don't know if I want to treat this as badly as I've done it. Or, you know, if you, you, know, you go earn your own money, uh, you know, as a kid, you probably had this experience. You know, hey, Dad, hey, Mom, will you buy this for me? You've got your own money. Yeah, but I don't want to spend my money on it. Oh, it's not, you know, I want it, but not that bad. That's what this hireling is. A hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Now on your paper, 
a hireling, H-I-R-E-L-I-N-G, is a worthless worker who does not care for the sheep and allows the wolf to catch, kill, and scatter the sheep. Well, it's interesting about predators. I know my father-in-law has told me this. With his, his, he's had cows, but mainly sheep and goats and chickens. What's interesting about predators, they don't just go in and get supper. It's not like they're going grocery shopping. I think I'll have one sheep tonight, and they go get one sheep and they leave. When a predator gets in a pen, they just kill until they can't. They just start taking out as much as they can until someone runs them off or they get spooked or something. And they may not even eat all of it. Most of the time they don't. But they just start swiping and killing and swiping and killing and then drag something off and run away. And you come and back, you might not even find the coyote or the wolf there. Maybe you catch them, but maybe not. But you see what's left from them being there. Well, the hireling here is worthless because he won't do what's necessary to care for the sheep. He allows the thief the wolf, Satan, to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't stop and be a guard. And when, when you forfeit, when you don't give yourself to what God's given to you in your life and called you to be, and take responsibility in the areas of life, the only thing that is going to happen from not taking godly responsibility is the thief comes in and wrecks it. It's just, it's just that simple. When, when we don't do what we're called to do, the things that we're responsible for and the people we're responsible for, the wolf gets to them. So we don't want to be that hireling. We don't want to be that hireling. God makes this point in Ezekiel chapter 34. Much of what God tells Ezekiel, which of course that's during the captivity of Israel and Judah, they've sinned. But it's not just that they've sinned. For years after years, I'm talking four or five hundred years it took for Israel and Judah to go into captivity. Four or five hundred years of ungodly kings. There were some godly kings, but as a whole, turning towards sin and refused to repent. Every now and then they would get a good one and the nation would turn around for a time, but then they would go back into sin. And God, being righteous, just, and full of mercy, said, I've given you time to repent, but you've not. So now I have to bring judgment. I have to bring justice because I'm not ungodly. I'm not unrighteous. I must punish what is wrong. So they go into captivity for 70 years. And while they're in captivity, a man of God named Ezekiel gets many dreams, many prophecies, and he speaks to the people. And among the people he speaks to, a group or a class that he speaks to, the word of the Lord, are the priests and the Levites. The men that are responsible for teaching the word of God and honoring the worship of God and, you know, coordinating the people to get them in a place to worship God at the temple. And he makes this point in Ezekiel 34. He said, y'all are shepherds, but you've not done what a good shepherd does. You've allowed the sheep to become sick when you should have healed them. When the sheep were broken, you didn't fix them. When the sheep were diseased, you didn't, you know, give medicine to them. When they were hungry, you didn't feed them. When they were scattered by the wolf, you didn't go out and get them and bring them back in. And then it switches to, but me, Jehovah, I'm the shepherd of Israel. And then he says, These, this is what you do. And, and this is the same thing Jesus is saying here. He's making this point. And this is really in connection to what we saw in the first few verses of John 10. These false Christ, these thieves and robbers, they're hirelings. There are people that, there are some people, not, I don't believe, you know, some people say, oh, I don't go to church at all anymore because I had this one-time experience where someone did do me wrong, but instead of doing what was right, which is to forgive and move on, I've held it as a grudge and I've never went back to church, and now I think everybody that goes to church and that calls themselves a Christian, they're all a bunch of lying hypocrites. No, that's not the case. But there are some people, there are some people that get in churches, some ministries, now, I don't think a lot, but there are some people in churches, there are some people in pulpits, there are some people in ministries, there are some people in the pews, that they're there to take advantage of other people. And they're not there to help, nurture, and protect the body of Christ. They're there to live off of, to get what they can get and move on. <laughs> I, Laura and I, we drove down to Georgia and we went to two nights of revival Sunday and Monday night of this week. 
and while I was in the bathroom Sunday night, met a precious man, and I thought he just was interested in who I was until he found out what I did, and then he gave me a 10-minute spiel on how he'd give me great discounts on Christian t-shirts and showed me how to get his website and everything. He was a nice man, but it probably wasn't the best place to do business right in front of the men's journals in the men's bathroom. There's better places to do business, right? <laughs> but there, and I don't think he necessarily was doing that. I think he might have just been very excited. But there are some people, they come to church to make connections. I know, I know a lady. I was going to say a precious lady, but I don't know how precious she is if she did this. I know one lady. She had a particular business. I'm not going to say it. That way no one would know who I'm talking about. But she had a particular line of business, and she came here for about three months until she realized no one wanted to pay her for her business, so she went and found another church. Well, she wasn't looking for a church. She was looking for customers, right? That's a hireling. It's a hireling. Worthless worker. Don't sound nice. It's true, though. There are some people that are, out, that are out to get you, right? It's kind of like Honest Bob at the used car lot. Is he really honest? Sometimes he may be. Sometimes he may be. But if he has to run a commercial every week to let you know how honest he is, it might be because he's got some things going around town that says he's not that honest. Now notice this, John 10, 13. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. That's what it comes right down to. He don't care. He doesn't care. A hireling is someone who does not care for or about the well-being of the sheep. Now, in contrast, Jesus, the good shepherd, doesn't do what the hireling does, right? The hireling's opposite of Christ, the good shepherd, which means Jesus cares about your well-being. Simple, but profound. Jesus cares about you. Don't ever let anyone make you think Jesus doesn't care about every bit of you. If it concerns you, Jesus is there. It concerns him, and he'll give you an answer. He'll give you a remedy. He will strengthen you. He will heal you. He will bring you from that place that concerns. So if you, if you have anything, anything of concern, you go to God in prayer. Lord, this, this is why I'm, you know, this is keeps coming up on my mind. I keep thinking about this. I don't know what I'm going to do here. God will give you an answer. He'll give you a solution because he does care about your well-being. He's not a hireling. He's the good shepherd. So we could actually do this in reverse. Think about this way. John 10, 13, we just read it. Let's read it opposite, though. What do I mean by that? Well, let's see if I can get through it this way. The good shepherd does not flee because he is not a hireling, and he does care about the sheep. That's the opposite. Jesus is not going to flee. He's going to stay there and protect you and keep you and care for you. John 10, 14. Why? Because I'm the good shepherd. And I know my sheep and am known by my own. Now, I've got two words here that aren't in the text itself, but they make the point clear. Jesus knows individually each sheep, and his sheep know him personally. Jesus knows individually each sheep, and his sheep know him personally. I know I've made this point a lot, probably to where it's almost, you know, redundant when I say it, but it's so true. Salvation is a personal experience. Your relationship with Jesus is a personal thing. The only person that limits my relationship with God is this fellow right here, which means that's good news. That's not bad. That's not condescending. That's not condemning. That's good news because it means I can get as close to God as I want to be. I can be absolutely as close to God as I desire to be. That's it. And think about this. Luke 12 Verse 6, I'll read this to you. Jesus made this point. Are there not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? Real cheap, real cheap. You can buy five birds for two copper coins. These were offerings. Why sparrows? Sparrows were used for offerings at the temple. So a poor man's sacrifice at the temple wouldn't be a sheep or a goat or a bull. It'd be birds because they're cheap. And not one of them is forgotten by God. So even the lowest-priced offerings that a man could buy for his worship to God, 
these precious little birds. I love watching birds. I've got a couple bird feeders in my backyard. It's amazing. Think about the way God cares for animals. It's like me putting out that, I go buy bird feed. Why am I doing this? I'm buying bird feed to go sit it outside for them to eat it just so I can watch them eat it. <laughs> but it's fun. I enjoy it. And not one of them is forgotten by God. And the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Those are all different numbers for all of us. Amen? Some of us got more numbers than, or less numbers than others. But that's all right. He knows how many you've got. He knows when they're turning gray, too. Laura reminds me of when mine turned gray. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. God knows you individually. He knows you. You're not a number, right? We, it's good to have numbers. We do that in church ministry so we can keep track of our growth, of the health of the church. It's good to know participation. It's good to know, hey, this worked really well. Our church family is blessed by it. Uh, doing things at this time didn't really work that well because we know people are faithful, but when we did it at this time of the week or this time of the day, it, didn't, it was hard for people to get there. We number things. That's important. But it's not all about numbers, you understand. It's about individuals, and that's the same thing with God. You're not just on the number chart in heaven. Well, I've got so many people coming into heaven in the book of life. So many names written down. No, he knows you individually. He knows you specifically. He knows you personally, and we know him personally. That's what he's saying in verse 14. I know my sheep, and they know me. They know me. John 10, 15. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, 14 and 15 really should be read together. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own, as the Father knows me, even as so I know the Father. That's really the full statement there. Now, why does that matter? Just like Jesus knows you individually, personally, and you know him personally, Jesus knows the Father. Jesus is making the point, if you know me, you know the Father, because we're one, right? We serve a triune God the Holy Trinity, three persons in total perfect unity. They have different jobs, they have different ways of ministering to us, but three people in total perfect unity. And if you know one, you know them all. And that's what Jesus is making the point here, which for the Jewish people that are hearing it at this point, they think one of two things. They think, wow, we finally know Jehovah, this far-off God, at least in their minds. To the Pharisees and Sadducees, they say, oh, this ain't right, we're going to kill this guy because this is blasphemy because we don't believe who he, who he says he is. But if you know Jesus, you know the Father because, Ephesians 2.18, by the blood of Christ, we have been given access to the Father in one spirit. There's the Trinity right there. By the blood of Christ, we've been given access to the Father of one spirit. If you know Jesus, you know the Father. The Father and the Good Shepherd, on your paper you have written, the Father and the Good Shepherd are one. And so we, his sheep, are one with him and the Father. If you're in Christ, you're in the Father. And that's important, too, even today. There are some people that think... I, there was one particular... I had a Bible class in college. One particular professor, he would make a condescending joke about God. And he thought it was kind of funny, but he would say, we're going to talk about New Testament God today, not Old Testament God, because Old Testament God's pretty mean, and he's always kind of grumpy and angry. And he would all, you know, be think, he thought it was a cute little joke. But there's some people that really think that way because they don't really read the Old Testament. They just hit high points, and they think, well, God wasn't really upset, wasn't he? Well, no, I don't see him being as upset. You mean he just delivered three million people out of the nation of Egypt through ten powerful plagues, and he destroyed the entire Egyptian army in the Red Sea, and the first thing they do within 40 days of getting out is go make a false god and dance around and have ungodly party around the uh, false god, and then when Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments, they say, uh, we don't know where that <laughs> uh, cow came from. It just shot out of the fire. We threw all our gold earrings in it, and it popped out. Oh, sorry. Uh, God was pretty merciful. He was very patient and kind. He, he brought justice, he brought judgment, but he still does today. It's no different. God doesn't change. Malachi 3.6, I'm the Lord God and I do not change. And because I don't change, you're not consumed. 
I'm here tonight, you're here tonight because God hasn't changed. He never has, he never will. And the Father and Jesus, they are one. They honor one another. You know, some people, they think, well, Jesus was a lot nicer than God, God the Father. But that's not true either. Jesus said that in this same book, John. He said, I don't say anything unless I hear my Father say it. And I don't do anything unless I see my Father do it. So in other words, Jesus is a perfect representation of God the Father. That was all extra. Last part right here. Point four, the flock, as we finish up. John 10, 16. The other sheep. If you ever wanted to find yourself in the Bible, there you are right there. You're the other sheep. Unless you have, I, I don't know, you may have Jewish descent. But if you don't have Jewish descent, you're the other sheep right here. Verse 16, the other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus, the good shepherd, this is on your paper, came that he might bring salvation to all, Jew and Gentile alike. These, remember, because when Jesus is speaking these words, he's speaking to... Israel. Jesus even makes this point, and this is why Jesus, you might think, why, didn't, why did Jesus just stay in Israel? He was bound by the prophets. God spoke his word through the prophets, and he was bound by the word to teach himself to Israel first. And then he gave the great commission to the disciples, go into all the earth, tell them about me, teach them, make disciples. And even some of the, you know, Peter has a little hard time with that. Wait a minute, even these Gentiles people? But then in Acts 10, when Cornelius gets saved and they get baptized with the Holy Spirit, he said, huh, who knew? I guess God loves them too. I mean, they got saved, baptized, and filled with the Holy Spirit, the whole house. What am I going to do? Stop them from not getting baptized in water now? They've already got a higher baptism, you know? And, and so Jesus is making this point. I've got to go out and get some. I've got to go get more sheep to bring them in. And they hear my voice. Jesus, the Lord, he sends his word. They hear my voice, and there'll be one flock. That's how people are brought into the flock of God. How does God get more sheep in his pasture? He sends his voice. He sends his word. How will they be saved unless they hear? Romans chapter 10. John 10, 17. Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. The Father loves the good shepherd because he lays down his life in obedience and will take it up again. The prophet Isaiah prophesied of Jesus, Isaiah 50, verse 7, it says that Jesus set his face like flint toward Calvary. And rangers, we do flint and steel, which is a way to start fire. Some of y'all may have done that. But what is it? It looks like just a piece of steel that wraps around, usually like these three fingers, and it's flat. And then you take a flint rock, and you strike it against the steel. And you do it over what's called a bird's nest, which is just real dry tinder that may have like some charred linen cloth in it. And then maybe, you know, moss, whatever you want to wrap it up in. And you're hitting it, and it's sparking off. And once you get a spark, you've got to bring it up. And what you can't do is cup too far back, because when this... You're blowing into this spark trying to get it to light on fire. Some, guys, some of these guys can do it in like three, four seconds. But if you've done what I did one time, you do this right here. Oh, it's lighting. And, <laughs> and it's on fire and it falls on your face. And then you come back from this camp trip with no eyelashes because <laughs> it singed off your eyelashes. The steel, though, is what is sparking. The flint, the rock, is knocking off tiniest little shards of steel that is hot, so hot it looks like a spark. Jesus set his face like flint, this extremely hard rock. He purposed himself to do what the Lord commanded him, which is die on the cross, but not to stay there. He's going to take it up again. And that's why the Father loved him. God loves obedience, and we obey because we love him. John 10, 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. 
This command I've received from my Father. No one took Jesus' life. He freely laid it down in obedience that all who believed on him should be saved. Yes, Jesus was killed, but he was not murdered. What do I mean by that? Were men there nailing him to the cross? Yes. Did they whip his back? Yes. Did they mar his image so much that it says he didn't even look human anymore? Yes. Did they put crown of thorns on his head? Yes. But it wasn't because they kidnapped him. Well, I thought they came to the garden and get him. He did. But remember what happens. Where's Jesus? We're looking for Jesus. We're going to take him in. I am. And when he says that, they fall down. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to go get a guy and all he does is speak and I fall over and can't get back up, he knocks me over but didn't touch me, I think, I was like, you know what? I think this guy should, should be free after all. I think i got to go on back home. I, I forgot I, I actually left my sheep out. i got to go put them in the sheepfold. I think we're going to leave this guy alone. No one took Jesus' life. He gave it freely. He chose to do it. What kept Jesus? Some people say love kept Jesus on the cross, which is true. He loved us. But obedience kept Christ on the cross. And that's a, that's a characteristic of a believer. We do what's right because it's right. We do what's right. We obey the word because we love God and because it's right. It's because it's what he desires. We freely choose it. That's what salvation is all about. Watchman Nia, mighty man of God, who suffered tremendously for the gospel. He was a Chinese pastor. And he kept continually getting locked up for preaching the gospel, which, of course, still is illegal in China. And they would come. They'd burn his house down because he wouldn't stop preaching. They'd lock him up, and they'd let him out. First thing you do, you go start preaching again. He would not quit. Eventually, they said, well, we'll fix him. We'll cut his tongue out. And they cut his tongue out. And then he wrote like 110 books <laughs> from the Bible, of course, and, and would send them out in letters to his family, and they'd publish them. And still to this day, many of his books are written. And he makes this point. As Christians, we are... He, makes, he, he says this phrase... And I wouldn't take it away from it at all. It may seem a little harsh to us, but think about what this man, the price this man paid to follow Christ. He said, we are voluntary slaves bound by love. That's what a Christian is. It's not that God makes me do something, but I will do anything God tells me to do. Just like a slave or a servant has to do it, I don't have to do it. I voluntarily enslave or I voluntarily yield, submit, give myself so wholly to God because I'm bound to Him by love. I want to do it. Jesus laid down... There's one more uh, question or fill in the blank we have for, for this verse. Jesus laid down His life because the Father commanded Him to do so. Why should you do something? Well, if God says it, do it. He's not going to lead you astray. He will not lead you astray. And then lastly, is these last three verses, we bring it to a close. John 10, 19 through 21. Jesus gets done, he teaches this whole point here. Remember, it started out, he cast this devil out, he healed this blind person, there's some commotion, he gives a, a parable, an illustration, they don't understand it, so he expounds on it. And then after he gets done teaching, this is what happens. Therefore there was division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and he's mad. Why do you listen to him? And others said, These aren't the words of one who has a demon. They just saw a guy get freed of a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And the last point I want you to see is this. The word of God and his miracle power have always caused division. The Word of God and His miracle power have always caused division. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And he makes this point. When I come, I've not, verse 38, And he who has not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And he makes this point. I didn't come. I'm not coming to bring peace. I'm coming to bring division. And you think, wow, that, I, that doesn't sound very Jesus-like, or at least the Jesus the world may think about. 
But what kind of division he's talking about? Choose you this day whom you will serve. You're going to serve the one true God, as what Joshua said to Israel, or the gods of your fathers, the gods of the world of culture, you know, the, 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 the other thoughts of this life, or are you going to choose God? There's a deciding, divisive point. And the Word of God and His power always brings a dividing point. Are you going to believe or not? Are you going to follow the Good Shepherd and know His voice? Or will you follow another shepherd? All right. Let's go before the Lord in prayer and we'll finish out tonight. Heavenly Father, I thank You again, Lord, for Your love, Your compassion, Your mercy that fills our life, Lord God. We thank You that You did send Jesus, the great mighty Good Shepherd, the Chief Shepherd that leads us unto the pastures of Your life, Lord God. The pastures of abundant life. We thank You, Lord, that as we are hid in Christ, that you protect us, you keep us, and the wolf, Satan, has no opportunity or ability to steal, to kill, or destroy as we're hid in you. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus goes before us, leading our path, and we fully, wholeheartedly follow after him because he leads us into life and life abundant. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, I want to say thank you for joining me on this episode of Faith for My Generation podcast channel. Please do us a favor. Leave a five-star review. It helps us get this message of the gospel and the word of God out in front of more people. It really does help. And until next time, remember, we are the faithful. God bless.